starting in Nehemiah 2:11 and through um, selected readings of chapter 3, starting in verse 11 of chapter 2. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by the night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. Then Elishahib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers to the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachur, the son of Imri, built. The Huns, sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, son of Meshizabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, son of Baana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besoyada, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams, set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them were repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Merothonite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uzziel, son of Harhiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Harumphah, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, son of Hasbaniah, repaired. Malkijah, the son of Haram, and Hashub, the son of Paphath, Moab, repaired another section, and the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. Down to verse 27. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Awful. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shekinah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another. After him, Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths. Oh, sorry, after him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants, opposite the muster gate, and so to the upper chamber of, his, of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. This has been the word of the Lord.
All right. Well, that's been a, a lot of a lot of reading there. Thank you uh, for doing that for me. Um, just by, uh, one of the announcements that uh, would, would, you would find in your uh, emails na- mailed to you uh, that I probably should mention is that we do have our AGM planned coming up for the near future. February 21st at 6.30 p.m. is going to be our, our AGM. So I should probably at least uh, make note of, of that one particular announcement. Well, let me jump into this passage. It's a big passage. It's uh, one of those passages that you don't necessarily want to find yourself preaching on. It's, uh, it, it's much like those genealogies that just go endlessly uh, all the way through a chapter of genealogies, and that's much what this is like. Only it's about the building of the wall. They actually start building the wall. So again, let me just back up just a little bit. That's why I wanted to start in chapter 2 and sort of leap into chapter 3 and draw some principles out of chapter 3. Um, but again, uh, Nehemiah has been brought to Jerusalem. He's now there, uh, and he, God has made it possible for him to come, and Nehemiah has come with a great passion, of course, on his heart, right? A great desire to accomplish something that God has called him to. And his passion, of course, is to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt, the walls of the city that have laid in ruin for somewhere around 140 or so years in ruin. He desires to see them rebuilt. And in this passage, in chapter 2, Nehemiah has just arrived in Jerusalem. Three days, right? He's been there for three days now. And he's told no one yet of what God has brought him to do, the burning passion that's on his heart. And on that third night that he is there, he takes this nighttime dramatic ride, this solitary, although he has a few servants with him, few people, this ride through the city at nighttime. It's, and, and it's just filled with this sense of dramatic, right? And Nehemiah was so burdened over the condition and the disgrace of the city and troubled by the hardship of the people as they lived amongst the rubble of the city that while Nehemiah was still in Persia, before he even gets there, Nehemiah was compelled to spend days mourning and praying and weeping before God because of the broken down city and even more so because of the broken down people and the broken down faith of these people and now he's there all right so imagine that that now he's there now he is actually examining those walls up close by this almost perhaps eerie sort of moonlight he's there largely alone and he's looking up close at what God has called him to do and to repair He's looking at what God has given him such a burning passion for. And now he is examining the great task at hand that God has called him to build. And I can imagine, I can only imagine that it must have been a pretty emotional ride, a pretty emotional evening for Nehemiah, don't you, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, if just hearing about the walls back in Persia caused him to mourn and fast and pray and weep, how much more? Being there amongst it in the nighttime, riding through the whole thing, must he have just felt this incredible sense of God's urgency and God's desire for him to take on this task. Nehemiah has been struck by the greatness of the devastation, I'm sure, now that he sees it up close, right? How, How much rubble there was must have been almost overwhelming for him. So much so that at one point, he couldn't even ride around it. He had to dismount and walk through it. And just to give you a little bit of an idea of how much rubble there there might have been, uh, can we zoom out a bit so we can see the two pillars that are beside me? 
Beside me are two pillars. You're familiar with your church. There's these two pillars. These pillars are roughly 22 feet apart from each other. The walls of the city were 22 feet wide, and they were 25 feet tall. So if you go up about four feet beyond the heights of the pillars, that would be the size of a cross-section of the wall. It takes a lot of stone to build a wall that size. And this wall was about four kilometers round as it circled the city. Four kilometers of that much wall. The wall was so wide, in fact, that you could ride two chariots side by side on top of it. That's how big it was. Imagine all of that stone torn down. Imagine all of that stone to build that size of a wall just spread out across the city, just lying all over the place. That's what it looked like. That's how overwhelming it would have been. And that's how much despair these people, it's almost reflected in the amount of rubble, the despair of the people as they live in the midst of it all. Nehemiah must have been struck on that night how great a task this was that God had called him to. How big and difficult, perhaps, a task this was going to be. I bet at one point or another, he comes to the point of realizing, now I understand why it's not been rebuilt for 140 years. This is a huge task that's got to involve many, many hands to make this work even possible. And that's what he's looking at. Now he understands. And I'm sure Nehemiah must have been in some level of tears on that night. He must have cried that night. He must have wept that night over what he was witnessing. But you know, I think there's also something else that happened to Nehemiah too on that night. Something that that happens to all people who dare to answer God's call. Who who God calls to accomplish these sort of God-sized tasks in this world. I believe that Nehemiah could see something beyond just the rubble. I believe that Nehemiah could see something deeper. He could see beyond the ruin. He could see beyond the enormous task at hand. I believe that on that night, God allowed Nehemiah to see what could be as well. He allowed him to see the possibilities, to see what God could accomplish here. I think God allowed Nehemiah to see the walls in their completed state. You know, the way it should be, the way God desires it to be. I believe that God blessed Nehemiah with that sort of a a picture of of what it will be like when the walls are completed. He could see the security that they would provide. He could see the transformation of the city. He could see the transformation of the people who would accomplish this, through whom God would accomplish this, and their restored faith in their God. I believe he could see all that on that nighttime ride. And you know, that's something that we... I think we all need to see what God would accomplish, the purposes and the possibilities that God has for us. And that's something that we so often refer to as vision. God granted, I believe, Nehemiah vision on this evening. Vision of what could be, of what God desired, of what God was calling him to. And that included not just seeing the work and the huge task at hand, but to seeing it completed, to seeing it fulfilled, to seeing it strong and in the the beautiful order that God desires for it to be, both in the wall physically, but in the people of the city as well. And we need to be able to see those kinds of things too. We need to be able to have that kind of vision for what God is calling us to work at as well. The wall, if you will, that God is calling us to build. Because be sure, church, God is calling us to build something too. It's not just a wall that circles our city. 
not physically anyways, but maybe somewhat spiritually, right? We need to have a vision of all that God has called us to be and to do. And we need to see it passionately. We need to sort of gain this burden for it like Nehemiah did. We need to see maybe on on, on some kind of a dramatic night ride to see it in all of its challenge, but also in all of its fulfilled glory, right? We need to have that kind of vision and faith to see what God desires to do with us and among us and through us, in us as a community and in the community at, at large. So this morning, I want to take a little bit of time to sort of focus at that, to look at that you know, wall, that work that God has called us as a church to labor at. And I desire for us to be kind of challenged by it, but also to see what could be, what should be, what is and what is to come for us as a church, and at least start to cast our vision towards what God desires to do here. Now, you know what? If we were in a church all together, I would start by saying to you, and there's just a few of us here, there's two, four, six of us here, and seven counting me, I would start by saying, you guys, if we're going to look at what God wants to build among us, start by looking around at each other, right? That's what I would do. That's what I would start. Now, we're not all here, so what I'm going to do is, is we're going to scroll through some pictures here of this body, of this congregation, of these people that make up this church. And we need, we really need ah, to see each other as a part of the wall that God desires to build amongst us. This is the interesting thing about this metaphor here of us as a building, is is we are both the laborers of the building, but we're also the, the pieces of the building. We're both. We're both. We're the chunks of stone that are going to be built into something, and we're also the laborers to, to sort of build it together under the direction of God and under the vision that he has given us. We ourselves, to a degree, are the project as the wall and as the workers of the wall on that project. And I would suggest to you that God wants to build us <laughs> together. He wants to build us into something strong together. And I love the way chapter 3, a big chunk of that section of chapter 3 that talks about the people building, it talks about how they built closest to their own homes, right? It's like they, they, they built the section of the wall right outside of their home. It's like that's the closest section to them. That's the part, it seems, that they're kind of responsible for. You live right there, so make sure that that piece of wall right outside of your house is in good order. You're going to be the ones to build that. It's like God is giving us the responsibility to work on the project that is closest to home for us. And I think there's something for us to learn in that. Something for us to grasp in that. The pieces of the wall that is our own lives. That's closest, right? The pieces that God wants to build right here within me. That's that's what I'm most responsible for seeing that happen for giving myself over to God so that it can happen. The pieces of wall that are my family, the ones that I live with, you know, the relationships that are the closest to me, they're the ones that I have the most responsibility for. And how about the church that God has put me with, the assembly of believers that God has put me in? That's a picture of the wall that's closest to our own lives and closest to our own home. That's the wall that is closest to us, intimately close to us, And we are the most responsible for working there and building there. 
We are the church that God is building here in the center of this town of Port Alberni. And in the New Testament image of building, you know, that is used, that would compare to what Jesus or what the New Testament calls this temple that God is building out of us, right? In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that you are members of God's household built. See, he's talking about us as a building built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, you know, the whole building is joined together and also rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built, right? We're being built. We are being built together to one another, together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We're a building project. We're the blocks of a building project that God is building together with us. So as we look around us and as we look at some of these pictures, we see a lot of the building blocks that God is using to build us into a house, a temple, to house actually, to not, not just house, not that he needs a house, but to house in order to make the Holy Spirit, to give him hands and feet and arms in this world that we sort of become the extension of God and his work amongst one another. That's the picture that we need to grasp. And God is building us into, or building into us certain abilities that, so that we can do that better. He's building into us a certain culture, certain characteristics, and also certain activities so that we can accomplish the things that he has for us. God is building into us, for example, his love. <laughs> That's one of the key things he's building into us is his love so that we can care for each other like he would. <laughs> That's the idea. So that we can care for each other just like he would. That's part of the wall that we are called to build. God is building into us also an understanding of who he is. You know, and that's a huge part of the wall that he's building amongst us too. This, this incredible realization, revelation of all that he is. An awe and a passion for how amazing he is. You know, and, 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 and why we should worship him and love him the way that he deserves to be, the way that we clearly should when we get to know him. That, again, is a big part of the wall that we're called to build together, that realization and revelation amongst us. In fact, between those two things, you know, passionately loving and worshiping God and loving and care for each other, well, that pretty much sums up a big chunk of what we're supposed to do together as a body, as a community. We're supposed to build love into each other, caring into each other, intimacy into each other and amongst each other. We're supposed to build understanding and awe and passion and love for our God into each other. That's part of what we're supposed to build as a community and as a church. That's the first part of the wall. That's the first sort of step of responsibility that we're called to that is the closest to us, right outside of our doors, if you will. And as we worship together, we're building that wall. You know, Andrew and Cal, they might lead us in worship, but, but it's something we do together. It's something that God is working in through us all together. He's laboring 
And we're laboring together to build that wall of genuine, heartfelt, spiritual, true worship amongst us. And, and, and that doesn't just happen. I mean, we practice that together when we gather. It's sort of an idea of us rehearsing when we gather together so that we can go out into the other seven days of the week and live out this, these lives that are worship, these lives that reflect the things that we sing on Sunday, the attitudes that we sing on Sunday, the hopes that we sing about on Sunday, that we sort of live them out together as a community throughout the rest of the week. That is what our worship should be leading us towards. That's sort of the end goal of our worship. That it sort of spreads out from just this rehearsal time together, which is wonderful, that we now start to live these things all through the week. And when we pray together and ask God's presence to be among us or pray for one another for the needs or the hurts or the issues or the whatever, that is His kingdom come too. That His kingdom will come and His will will be done. That's also building. That's also the building of the wall that we do together. And this hundred days of prayer that we're venturing into, especially during the time of this pandemic, it's one of those things that we can really lean into. Maybe we can even focus more on prayer because of the pandemic, since we are kind of isolated. Well, what a perfect opportunity to just push harder into prayer. We can do that. Maybe that's exactly what God wants His church to do right now. He just pray more and harder especially also during this significant juncture in the history of this particular church. A hundred days of focused prayer is such an important, you know, wall-building, kingdom-building exercise for us to practice right now. It is really the place where we must begin in order to successfully build in all other areas. It's, it's the of first importance kind of thing. Let me show you another picture, one more photograph of a piece of our congregation. And uh, this is an old picture. I, know, I realize a lot of these pictures are old. Uh, I, I wish I could have gotten a, a newer one. But uh, this is a picture that represents the youth and the children amongst us. Oh my goodness. They are a critical part of the wall that we are called by God to build and to pour into. It is critically important for the building and the future of any church and even for the future of the very kingdom of God that we pour into and build up and raise up these children and youth amongst us. And I have got to tell you that I care passionately about our children. And I'll tell you why. Because, and I can tell you in a Bible verse, Proverbs 22, 6, that's why. That's why. And it says there that if you train up a child in the way of the Lord, and when they grow old, they will not depart from it. That's so important. And, and I can even back that up with a statistic, a North America statistic. Here's the statistic. 83% of all committed Christians, 83% who live out their lives for Christ as followers and disciples of Jesus, 83% of them will make their commitment to be followers of Jesus between the ages of 4 and 14. This is critical. It's a critical time in their lives to touch them with the gospel, to reach them, to pour love and Christ into them. Those years of childhood, they're like a sweet spot of faith. And Jesus said as much, didn't he? When he talked about... He, he's, 
entering the kingdom of God like a child. He says, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. You see, that they have this capacity to understand it almost naturally. It's just like it's still there. It hasn't really been beaten out of them or corrupted out of them by the pressures and the ways of the world quite yet. And they're just closer to it. They understand it more intuitively, the way we all are supposed to and we're designed to, but the fall has caused it to sort of slip away from us. This is a huge part of the wall that we must build, that we must build. We've got to do this, and we've got to do it together, to rise up and to teach and to care for and to lead our children and the children of this community to the Lord, to the Lord, to teach them about the Lord. They're they're waiting for it. They're, They're almost craving it by nature, about his love for them and about why they should worship him. And it'll just make sense to them. It's almost like when they hear it, they go, oh yeah, of course. They're that connected to it. So in regards to that, we actually had a children's ministry meeting this past week. (laughs) We, We started to lean into it again. We're having another one this week. We're leaning into it again. And we're going to find ways that we can keep connected with those children and minister to those children. It's going to largely be through their families, but we're going to help them do it. And we're going to look at ways that we can sort of set that up for success so that when we can meet together, we'll be able to plow into it right away in a good way. And there's other ministries amongst us too. (laughs) Scott McLeod's here. I've met with him three times now. And all at his invitation to talk about men's ministry. Obviously, God's put that on his heart. And that's wall building. That's another piece of wall building. I've I've started meeting in an accountability group relationship with a couple of people. And that's wall building. We're starting to lean into that. I was here a few weeks ago and Tim, I don't even know what Tim's last name is. Tim comes and helps clean the church periodically. He was cleaning the church. We were talking and I found out that he'd sent out cards and notes to a whole bunch of people in the church. That's wall building. That's building that relationship. He's working at it. And it's not just those people. It's so many. Of course, it's all of us. And it's all of that sort of stuff. That's really what it's about. All of us who come and who participate and who worship and who pray and who are called to care and to be cared for and to learn how we fit in and how we can be a part of We're all a part of that wall that God is building us into, this loving, caring, worshiping community. And you know what? We're not finished. (laughs) That's, I think, the point that I want to make, is that there's still a ways to go. There will always still be a ways to go. We should keep the completed project in mind and what it would look like. And there's always more, but we should also then be inspired to keep moving towards that. Keep growing at that. In some ways, we've probably done really well at building in this church. In other ways, there's maybe some work still to do. In some ways, there's maybe even a pile of rubble here and there that we still need to sort of gather up and build into what God would have it be. And frankly, sometimes you can look at stuff and go, man, it's a bit overwhelming. I've been doing this for a long time. There's not enough of us doing it. There's only a few of us. And man, I feel overwhelmed. I understand that. I understand that. But I think as we can cast that vision and draw people into the vision of more and more people, that's when that starts to change, right? And frankly, if it looks like a huge job that's too big for us, good, because it is. 
That's the thing that shows us that only God could do this anyways, and we better be trusting in Him while we do it. Or else it's just our work. And that'll just crumble. But if it's His work, it'll last forever. And you know, that's really only the half of it. When I talk about building here amongst us, the other part, of course, is that we're called beyond just us. We've got next picture here. This is also where we're called to build. God, God put this congregation in, in a location on earth. And, and we're to have an influence there on his behalf as well. We're to build there on his behalf as well. And we're in Port Alberni. That's where this community resides. That's where we are put. And that's where we should be reaching into. You know, I have a friend who on Facebook, this, just this week... Uh, posted a post that, that was sort of well, complaining, it was complaining, about the incredible cost of living in the Lower Mainland. They live in South Surrey, um, and, and they talked about how it's just so difficult to live there with a family, to have to work, you know, two jobs, uh, four jobs sometimes between a couple, and all the running around, the commuting, the rat race, the stress of it all, just to not even quite make ends meet. And she posted that. And, and guess what I posted? What, what, guess what I said to her? I said, come to Port Alberni. <laughs> That's what I said. I mean, we've got waterfront here. We've got nature like flowing out of our back door here. We've got beauty. We've got recreation. It's all here. We're at the doorstep of the Pacific Rim West Coast. One of the most beautiful places on earth. We've got sports leagues for kids. And you know what else we've got? Reasonably affordable housing as well. It's all here. There's a you know, what I've, you know what else I've noticed that Port Alberni has is lots of pickup trucks. Like, way more than in the lower man. And I mean nice, big pickup trucks. It's like we've got it all. And if you compare this piece of the world to the rest of the world, man, we do have it all. We're so much better off than so many people. But, you know what else we have? Along with all those amazing things, you know what else we have? We have 30,000 people in this region, not right here in the town, but in this region, and we also have a lot of hurt. In spite of all the good things we have, we've got a lot of hurt as well. In this community, there's still a lot of pain. There's still a surprising amount of brokenness for all the advantage that we have. There's still rubble, is what I'm saying. We have a shockingly high amount of insecurity amongst people here. Desperation, loneliness, unfulfillment. There's a lot of addiction because of all those things. It's a way to kind of escape and self-medicate. It's no different than really very many other places. We have growing fear, a growing sense of, frankly, meaninglessness and lostness in life. And the truth of our community is that we have about 30,000 people here, our greater community, and of that 30,000 people, and I'm probably being optimistic here, 25,000 of them don't have any kind of a meaningful relationship with their Creator, with their God and Creator the only one who can ultimately bring meaning and purpose and salvation to their lives. 25,000 people. 25,000 people at our doorstep, right here, right around us, who live without an understanding of what it is that Jesus did for them and how much of a difference it can make in their lives. 
25,000, many of them who just have a, a huge misconception of who he is. 25,000, most of them who not actually rejected him, they just don't really know anything about him. That too is part of the wall we're supposed to be building. God has called us to build at that wall too, into their lives too. We've got a message. We've got good news that they need to hear. They should at least get to hear it, right? So they can make a decision on it. And boy, do we need to see that part of wall. You know what? We need to not just see it. We need to be struck by it. Frankly, we need to be struck by it with some level of, of passion. We can't just look superficially at the community around us. We've got to go deeper. We've got to do a nighttime ride like Nehemiah did and get up close with it. Touch it, ride through it, walk through it, climb over it, all of that. If we just look at it superficially, if we just look at the veneer of it, the surface of it, things can look good. The trucks look good. Wow, lots of impressive trucks. We've got to look beyond that, deeper than that. If we just look on the, 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 the veneer of it, we don't see what it really is. When you get under the veneer, you see something more. Right? We have to look deeply into our community, right? Just like Nehemiah did. We have to look at the desperation, the hurt up close, the struggle up close. Prayerfully look deeply into the eyes and the needs and the hurts of our community and look well at it. Or we simply won't be struck by it. Nehemiah looked at the destruction. He looked at the desolation. He looked at the hurts and the needs of his community, and he looked deeply into it. What would God show us? And I think we have to also ask him to show us not just the hurts, but to show us what he desires to heal and what that would look like. What would our community look like if a wave of God rushed through here? A wave of his Holy Spirit and the healing and the saving and the hope rushed through our community. We need to see that too. We need to get a picture and a vision of that too. Because that's what he wants us to work towards. He wants to use us, challenge us, this community, so that we can go into our greater community to introduce them to their God who loves them so much. That's the other part of the wall that God wants us to work on. We have here basically the great command and the great commission wrapped up together, right? To share his love and to share his gospel. That's it. The great command and the great commission. It's what he called us to. Oh. And of course, it doesn't just end at the borders of this community either, right? It extends beyond that too. Well, even beyond this community. We might have a closer responsibility for this community, but among us, you know what's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen if we seek God. If we seek God's vision for this church and the ministry he has called us to, we are going to see people from amongst us go to the very ends of the earth. That'll happen. If we start praying about this stuff, that's what's going to happen. Some of us are going to be called to the very ends of the earth and God will go with them and we will still be a part of them as they go to fulfill that extensive part of his calling to us as a church. 
So let me just wrap up with a few thoughts from, the, from chapter 3, a few more thoughts from chapter 3. Uh, first point, clear point, is we all need to build together, right? When you look at those chap- that chapter, it's, it's incredible how they all built together. And I love it the way it says, next to them, so-and-so built, and next to them, so-and-so built, and next to them, so-and-so built. There's this camaraderie, there's this unity, there's this connection as they all build together. That's what it takes for us to accomplish our project that God has called us to. That's how God wants to work amongst us. He wants to do it through us all, honestly. We all need to recognize that we all have a role. We all need to see the picture and contribute to the picture. We all need to see that we're in the picture. (laughs) You look closely enough at the picture until you see that you're actually in the picture. We're a part of the vision. We all have something to contribute, some role to play, some talent to give, some some amount to contribute. In the New Testament, it talks about the, the, the church being like a body, like one human body with many different parts that all work and contribute together. And even if it starts small, that's fine. In fact, that's where it's supposed to start. Start small. If you're new at this, or if you're not sure what or how you're supposed to contribute, start small. Just join in to the worship. Join in in praying, right? Join in in just loving one another and in giving and in practice those things. Just start by practicing those things and then ask God to show you more specifically. And He will. Ask Him where to get deeper involved. Ask Him what your next step should be. And He'll show you. He'll show you. But for us as a body, as a church, the more we are all a part of it, the more we all get involved into the vision of our church, the more we will all work and contribute to the vision becoming the reality amongst us that God desires for it to be. (laughs) And we will all together say, let us rise up and build together. Then the more and more that wall and that picture that God has for us will come to fruition. Another interesting thing about this passage in chapter 3 is that if you start at the beginning of the passage, you see that they began the work at the Sheep Gate where the priests lived near the temple. Right? And they finished that part first. And they dedicated it to the Lord. They did that first. And that's significant. The Sheep Gate was the part of the gate that was near the temple, and it was called the Sheep Gate because that's where the sheep were brought in that were being brought to the temple for sacrifice. (laughs) They were brought through that gate, the Sheep Gate. And the point of this all is, is that they started with a focus on God and honoring Him first. Let's do that first. That's a good place to start. They built by God's house first, then by their own houses, right? That's good. And, and, And we need to, as we build here, we need to constantly remember that order of priority too. As we build this church, and I don't just mean the building, the building's already built, I mean us. The building's not the church. That's just the building that houses the church. We're the church. As we build each other, as we build into this community, as we build into the things that God has called us to, we need to remember that all of this is about first and foremost Him. It's about our God. Glory to Him, not to us. It's for His purposes, His kingdom, not ours, right? It's it's about our worship, 
Our prayers, our gathering, our outreach, our missions, it's all got to be focused at and about Him and His kingdom first. And what does Jesus say if we seek His kingdom first, right? And His righteousness first. He says that all these other things, all the other cares of life will just sort of be added to you as well. They'll find their appropriate place and be taken care of by Him, right? That's the nice side of it. That's the beneficial side of it. That's the right order of it. The other thing that I want to note in my final point here is, is the incredible amount of selfish, selflessness of these builders. And, and notice that there are a number of groups of people that come from other towns. They don't even live in Jerusalem. They come from other towns to help build the walls of Jerusalem. Now surely to have a fortified center is going to benefit them too in the outlying towns, but nonetheless, they didn't live there, yet they came to contribute, right? And I'm especially struck by the citizens of the town of Tekoa, right? And mentioned in verses 5 and verse 27, they're mentioned there. And, and when they completed the first section that they were assigned to work on, they didn't stop. <laughs> they did their section, they fulfilled their obligation, and then they went on to a second section. They carried on. I mean, what a selfless act. First of all, they didn't live there. Secondly, they, 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 they completed their assignment and they took on another one voluntarily. I noticed that. You can't help but to notice that. But there's also another contrast amongst the citizens of Tekoa. In verse 5, we're told that their nobles, the nobles of that city, would not stoop to serve the Lord in this kind of work. <laughs> there was a few amongst them. They're nobles. They, they, they had too much pride to do work like this. Even, even though everybody else did, even though the other nobles from other places did, they wouldn't. And you know, I guess that there's always some of that too. <laughs> always. There's always some who have some reason why they shouldn't you know, lean into it like others. Why they can't help. Why they can't be involved. Why this isn't for them. Why maybe even they're above this. And it's truly sad for this one particular reason. The really sad thing about this is that these people miss out on the blessing. That's the sad part. Is that it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. They're not giving and they're going to forfeit some of what they would receive from God in the way of blessing. They're a sad note here, but they're also not the focus. It just mentions them in passing and moves right past to all of those that did contribute. They're not the focus. You see, the vision, the vision guides this work, not the opinions of people, not even the opinions of the nobles. It's the vision that pushes this church, this congregation, and pushed the people, the Jewish people of that time, into the efforts that they were engaged in. So, I want to finish by giving you a task. Is that okay? I mean, I was always taught that we're supposed to preach for change. <laughs> and far be it for me to not have some level of application at the end of all of this. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Church, first of all, keep praying. And I'm going to ask us to start to shift our prayer. To shift the focus of our prayer. We started like Nehemiah did by praying prayers of repentance to sort of clear the way 
clear any rubble kind of out of the way between us and God so that we can start to deal with the other challenges amongst us. But now I would like you to start to pray for vision. Now I would like us to begin in our prayers to imagine what would Aerosmith Baptist Church look like if we were actually fulfilling everything that God desired for us to fulfill? What would that look like? Keep that picture down the road for us as our gauge, as our direction, as our striving. What would the fulfilled vision of Aerosmith Baptist Church look like? Pray to see that in all of its aspects and then pray towards it. What would it look like in terms of what this place looks like on a Sunday morning? What would it look like midweek? What would it look like in terms of us involved in the community? What would it look like in terms of calling people to Jesus <laughs> and to, to just make him known amongst the community here? What would it look like if we were really doing at all, all of it the way God would desire for us to? What would it look like? And then pray for that. Pray for God to fulfill that amongst us. And you know what? I'd actually be thrilled to hear some of your responses as you pray into that. What are you starting to see? What are you start, what's God starting to show you? What are some of the things that we need to set up on our horizons to aim for? Right? That's what I want us to start to pray for. In terms of this city, in terms of this church, in terms of this building, in terms of the children of our church and our community. And then the second thing I want you to start to pray for is to pray for the city. So it's two things. Pray for the vision. Pray for the city. Start to pray for the city. For the whole region, actually, and its people. And look closely, right? We talked about that. Look closely. Look deeply into the eyes of the people of the city with God's sort of insight below the veneer. Dive deep into it in prayer. And I'm even going to challenge you to consider Nehemiah rode through the city at nighttime. Drive through the city and pray. Now you're going to have to learn to pray with your eyes open, right? But you can do that. That's, I do that all the time. That's one of the reasons why I do it, so I can see what God's doing while I'm praying. Drive through the city. Maybe walk through the city and pray. Go to the dark places of the city. Go there and pray. And look deep. Go to the hurts of the people investigate them in prayer. See what God shows you. Walk through the city, drive through the city, go to the dark places, and imagine God's light breaking out on those places and shining truth and healing into those places. Begin to pray towards that. That's the assignment. That's our next step in the 100-day prayer effort that we're stepping into, okay? The vision for for us and, and the vision for the city. Let's go into it, step deeply into it, and pray into it. All right? Let's pray now in closing. God, thank you that uh, you have purposes for us. You have plans for us. And they're plans to prosper us, not to harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. And I know that there, we know that there are also plans for us to deliver that hope, that future, that prosperity to those around us too, for whom your gospel is meant. <laughs> that they would hear it, that they would know the goodness of it, the thrill of it, the value of it, 
and be able to make a choice on it as well. Lord, begin to raise us up. Begin to give us your vision for your kingdom come and your will to be done, for your love to to live amongst us and to be poured out into the community around us, and for us to glorify you in every way that we can, in all aspects of our lives. Lord, lead us into that vision and prayer towards it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.